0: I want to take a minute to ask uh, for, for prayer. Um, I, I know of uh, several churches that carry the name Methodist, um, United Methodists, that are right now deciding to uh, pull out of the Methodist, United Methodist conferences. Um, the last I heard, there were about 250 churches uh, looking to pull out of the United Methodists, and it's, it's a hard, difficult situation for a lot of churches. Well, that's what happens when a church drifts away from its theological and biblical moorings. And uh, we want to pray pray for, for our churches in our area. I, I know of at least uh, three churches I know of, you um, know, Methodists that are pulling out. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of our people are, that we know are, are struggling with that, and you've heard that. I would just say um, this morning I'm thankful for a church like the Evangelical Methodist Church. In 19... Forty around 1940. I I didn't look at the exact dates. I wasn't really planning to say a whole lot about this this morning. But um, a Methodist bishop named J. H. Hamblin, who was the bishop um, of the West District in Texas, and was a pastor of the First Abilene Church, um, First Abilene United Methodist Church in Texas, um, felt the denomination was drifting away from biblical authority. That they were drifting into modernistic thought which said that um, God may have been alive a long time ago, but he's dead now. Um, that God is not involved in the world. This, this was coming into the United Methodist Church even in the 1940s. And um, around uh, that time he decided to pull out of, of the, the church. And several churches went with him, but not his home church. The first uh, United Methodist Church of Abilene, Texas. Um, but, but he did pull out. And eventually, um, he met some other, other like-minded believers. And in 1946, they formed the Evangelical Methodist Church. Um, and that, that, that began in Memphis, Tennessee. And there were um, several people that were involved in that. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Azusa Pacific. It's a, a, a big uh, holiness school in, in, in California. And uh, they, um, they, they, they came in with us. Um, not, not the school, but the, um, the, the, the C.P. Haggard was the former president. In fact, our Haggard School of Ministry is named after C.P. Haggard. He came over with J.H. Hamblin and, and was dismayed at what was happening in, evangelical, in, in the evangelical Christianity, supposedly Evangelical Christianity in the United Methodist. And we're talking about 1946 now. J.H. Hamblin was about 75 years too early. <laughs> In, in, in what he did, but he but he was ahead. He was ahead of the curve on this, and um, I I just learned recently, like back in um, October, that his original church that he was part of, that First United Methodist Church of Abilene, Texas, has pulled out of, of the United Methodists over over the, these issues, um, moving away from from its biblical and theological moorings, and and moving away from. Uh, m- m- moving into the culture where it says that um, you know someone who's living a homosexual lifestyle can can be can be married and and uh, can um, uh, ho- hold or national or nation office. Uh, that's that that's their big goal and, and, and they've been pushing for this. And it's not just a recent phenomenon; it's been happening for a long time. And uh, we want to pray for our United Methodist brothers and sisters as they go through this, this time and, and all these disaffiliations. Um, so some of you know this is happening in, with some of your friends' churches in the area. And uh, just let them know, you know, I, I believe in church growth. And I don't necessarily believe in transfer growth, although that would be helpful. If people want to come to, United, to the Evangelical Methodist Church, you tell them that we hold to God's word. And, and our theological moorings are still anchored in, in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And, and not only in, in, to, in forgiveness of sins, but repentance from sin and turning away towards God. And uh, I, w- I want to have a special prayer for them towards the end of the service today too. I, the, re- the reason this came up is because I went out to eat with a couple of good friends last night and they're really struggling. Well, you, you know them, I'll just say it. It was Don and Nancy Scholl. So please just just pray for them. Pray for the the United Methodist Church and what it's going through. And um, just uh, be thankful that we're part of a denomination that still loves Christ and still serves Him and wants to obey what He's asked us to do. And His commands are not meant to be burdensome. His commands are meant to be freeing. And so we want to um, just remember them this morning if you would. All right. Second sermon this morning. <laughs> Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 8 through 11 if you would. 1 Peter chapter 4. This is um, the first Sunday of the new year and what I tend to do is a John Wesley covenant renewal service and uh, you'll find um, the um, covenant renewal commitment uh, there in your bulletins. Um, you know, I, I don't do liturgy often but I think, I think it's good to go through this. I think uh, John Wesley was sincere in what he wrote, and I think he wanted his Methodists, Methodist churches to be sincere in what he wrote, in, in uh, committing themselves to living for Jesus Christ. And uh, we're not going to read this as something that, that is a rote thing, um, or just uh, to read, just to read, but you need to think about the heart commitment that comes with it. And that's what this message is about this morning. Above all else... Paul asked, I mean, Peter asked us to do something here. Beginning at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God... Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. We live in an age where there's not much service going around. Now we've talked about love often, and, and, and recently when we were talking about Advent, um, but, but the, one of the hallmarks of, of true, true love, of loving someone, is, is to serve people. We live in an age of selfishness and self-centeredness. We reserve our time and finances for ourselves, and, and, and you know even for our families to a certain degree I, I, I know some people who, who are in a marriage and, and have a family and yet they have divided their finances uh, between husband and wife so that one, one can do their own thing and another can do their, another thing and, and I, that's not necessarily a wrong thing to do uh, it depends on your motivations if you're doing it for selfish reasons because uh you want your money for yourself And i think that's that's a terrible idea um p- people are are reserving things for themselves we have I live in an age of individualism we live in an age where the the self is the most important thing and uh you know it, i i've even heard you know conservative commentators talk about about this you know that, that this idea that we have to have this rugged individualism. We've got to pull ourselves up by our own, own bootstraps. And I, I understand being independent, but I think we're also called to be interdependent. Um, and and that, that, that's the thing that the Scriptures tell us to do. But all of this individualism, all this selfishness, all, all this self-serving behavior is, is uh, where our world is today. And, and, and the way you see that, for sure... Is all you gotta do is, is look at social media. P- people will say things on social media in order to get credit for themselves, even if it hurts other people. And, 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 and they'll usually say these things um, through, a, through the third wall of, of um, the internet. Um, they don't have to engage with someone or look at them in the face. And, and tell these things. And people will say things on social media that they would never say to somebody's face or in public. Or, you know, just look at Instagram. I mean, the, the hallmark of the selfie. Uh, it, it was funny, I saw this uh, picture the other day. And, you know, you, you, you've you seen maybe memes on the internet. Jokes they put out there. And uh, one of them said, um, you know, th- th- this uh, it said dating in 2022. And this girl and this boy were... Sitting there talking about their lives, and she says, "Well, I, I'm an Instagram model," and he says, "Well, I'm a soldier in Call of Duty." <laughs> I mean, that that's where our world has gotten to. You know, we we think that that real life is is uh, video games and uh, and 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 pictures on the internet. And and the problem is is that we've we we, we we've cut ourselves off from other people. We we've we put ourselves. Um, um, into our own world without looking at other people. And I think, I think that's probably one of the sources of, of depression today. Loneliness is one of the sources of depression, and some people don't even realize it because they're so caught up in, in self nowadays. And I think it even goes back to our baser instincts. And what do I mean by that? I mean by original sin, our corrupted natures. Friends, that, that is a reality. When Adam sinned, he fell. And the whole world fell because from Adam, he passed that sin on to other people. Not just the guilt of sin, but, but, but the actual sin corrupted. And you can see that immediately in his family. You know, Cain killed Abel. Later on, uh, the world was so filled with violence and, and, and wickedness and sin that God sent a flood to start the whole world over. Terrible things have happened because of original sin. And and the center of that is selfishness. My will, my way over and above God, over and above everyone else. And and that's where all the world is. That's where the world has been from the beginning. The gospel's message and purpose is to turn our hearts away from just this self-focus and turn it outward towards God and others. And this is at the heart of what a covenant renewal service is. Peter here um, stands with the other apostles. And I I think he stands with Paul here. Some people say Peter and Paul were two different animals and they're often opposed to each other. Um, Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a a Jewish scholar and a lawyer. Um, Peter was brash and uh, and, 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 uh, combative. Paul was more argumentative. And, you know, they put they, them against each other, but really and truly, when you get down to the heart of the message of the gospel, they both proclaim the same gospel and proclaim the same message. Now, Peter here states, above all, above all else, the most important thing, the priority for anyone claiming to be a believer is to love others earnestly. And especially within the church that Peter is addressing here, and the believers there, he says, love One another earnestly. Love one another earnestly. That means intentionally loving someone. That means deeply loving someone. Not just love because it says that we should love. Not not, not just like because it says to to love someone. But, But to earnestly and intentionally show love to other people. And, and he says that love covers a multitude of sins. When we have that kind of love for, for our other people, when we have that kind of love for believers, it, it lets go of offenses that have been made against us. It, it, it lets go of, of, of our rights. And sometimes, you know, I, you know, I have no problem with individual rights and personal rights. Our government guarantees certain rights. And, and, and we have certain rights as, as a people, as human beings. But sometimes, in, for the sake of love, we have to give up those rights in, or, in order to lift somebody else up. And, and, and in order to uh, forgive people's offenses, especially, you know, sometimes people don't intend to hurt, or, hurt you. Sometimes people say things that, that put you on edge and, and uh, you hold things against that person because of it. Sometimes people do it intentionally. They intentionally hurt each other by saying things or doing things. But as Paul says here, love covers a multitude of sins. And especially here in this context where he talks about, in verse 7 he says, the end of all things is at hand. He's talking about the the coming of God, God's kingdom on the world, which means judgment for the wicked and reward for the righteous. For believers, it's therefore important to love as God loves in order to not face God's judgment that's coming. Love, God's love, within our hearts and lives covers a multitude of our own sins and offenses against God Himself, not just against other people. And I think think He probably means both here to a certain degree. I I think we need to be concerned about God's judgment for our sins. We need to be concerned about other people and how they view us because uh, of offenses that have been done against us. And things that we've done against them. God said, or Jesus said this, I'm sorry. Jesus says this in the Lord's prayer, in, in, at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. That if you can't forgive others, then neither can your Heavenly Father forgive you. We have to be careful to love as the most important thing. Because that love covers a multitude of sins. We must love others above all else. And that's the message that Peter gives here. And he says only in God's strength can we do this. He talks about God's strength here, and we'll get more into that in just a little bit. He says only in God's strength can we do this, and only through the Son Jesus Christ can we do this. God's gift of grace comes through His Son Jesus Christ in order to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of our sins, and to help us, get rid of this self-centeredness. I mean, ultimately, sin is about selfish pride. What I I can do, I'm going to do what I want, I don't care what God thinks. And sometimes we we don't even consider what God thinks and what we're doing. We we just know that it pleases ourselves and it gives ourselves more power when, when we do certain things. Only Jesus Christ can transform the heart So much so that it does love others. And only in God's power and in His grace can we be transformed to love as we should. Only only Jesus secured our salvation through His sacrifice. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, God poured out His grace on the whole world. And it's only through His his justice displayed on the cross that God was able to show his mercy to us. Now, I've used this analogy before. It's sort of like, you know, you, you get a speeding ticket and you go before the judge and, it, and the speeding ticket is so expensive you can't pay, pay it. And so what, what the judge does is he takes off his robe, steps down from the bench, pays the clerk $200, goes back up and puts his robe back on and says, there you go. God paid the price for us. When we were condemned, when we were guilty, when we owed a great debt, God took the punishment for us. He he made it so that we could um, be reconciled, that that things could be made right. And He makes us right. And that act is is transformative for people. It's it's supposed to be transformative for us. Otherwise, we would still be self-focused, self-centered self-pleasing, self-promoting, caught up in sin, even to the point of what we call narcissism, where I I think I'm the most important thing um, in, in the world. Christ suffered and died to undo all that. So that He would put into our minds other people, God Himself, for one thing, because He is the truth and the reality of the universe, and then put our minds on other people. To undo our selfishness and self-centeredness, which is what truly leads to sin. Now, Peter talks about how this love is expressed here. He doesn't just throw it out there and, and leave it out there to uh, us to figure out. And, and any more than God leaves us to figure out how to live for Him. Uh, God, you know, through the Son, Jesus Christ, sends us His Holy Spirit... Uh, who dwells within us and who also guides us into all truth. He doesn't leave us alone to struggle and figure these things out. In fact, we, we can't sanctify ourselves, only the Holy Spirit can. Um, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us a, as we surrender more and more of ourselves to God. And He He continues to remove our sin and our sinfulness and that inward selfward focus, which is the source of all sin. The Holy Spirit does that for us. We can't do it without Him without God's strength, without the, the gift of His Spirit. But, that, but, but that, that love is expressed in different ways here as he talks about this. What, one of them is um, the, the idea of hospitality. In, in the ancient world especially, hospitality was important. Uh, they didn't have hotels. They didn't have necessarily a lot of restaurants. They, they didn't have places to go and shop and eat. When they traveled, they were dependent on the hospitality of people in their homes, inviting people in to stay with them. When, 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 when someone traveled and they went to a house, uh, that house was expected to take them in, to have food ready for them, and, and, and to give them a place to rest. Hospitality was very important, as, as, as ethically, in the ancient world. If you didn't show hospitality, you were considered a worse person. Well, Peter encourages the church to go above and beyond. He's saying, show hospitality with, to one another without grumbling. In other words, don't, don't complain when, when, when it's time to do, when, when, when um, you have to cook something for someone. <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't complain when you know, you're trying to fulfill God's commandments. You're supposed to help one another. And, and you go around feeling guilty because you didn't help them. They said, okay, well, I guess I'll help them if I have to. No, he says, do it cheerfully. Do it without grumbling and complaining. Show hospitality to the believers. The believers are supposed to have fellowship with one another, to love one another, to welcome each other into their homes, to welcome each other in fellowship. That's why we, we, we create fellowship opportunities in the church. We probably need more of them. Now, you know, we, we have our senior luncheon. Well, you know, that's that's one thing that we do on, mo- on most months on a monthly basis. And sometimes we, we get together for other meals. But showing hospitality to one another, cheerfully, not grudgingly, but cheerfully doing it, showing your love for other people, especially for the believers. I think back to Acts chapter 4. And when, when the early church um, first got underway. That they were meeting daily in, in the temple in Jerusalem for worship. But all the believers, they had a network of people that, that worked. They that came together and worked together. And one of the things that they did was when they found out somebody had a need, they would even go as far as selling some of their possessions in order to make sure that that person had the money to uh, to to do what they needed to do to to survive to buy bread uh, and 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 they also later on in Acts chapter six um, they had to eventually um, appoint stewards to do this task this is where the first idea of a of a church stewards came from we have a board of stewards um, but the idea is that these stewards would be caretakers of the needs of the people in the church and they would distribute um, you know whatever um, whatever they took in to help others who had need. That's that's showing hospitality. That's showing sacrificial love to others in the church. And they did it without any kind of grudge. They they did it happily and cheerfully. And that was Peter's command for them to continue that practice in this church that he's addressing here. Another way that, that this love above all else is shown here, he talks about this um, in verse, verse 10, he says, Each has a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And then verse 11 says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. What is he saying there? If, if, we're, true, if we're showing true love, then our speech needs to be sanctified speech. <laughs> To, to speak as, as if we were receiving a word from God to give to someone. Letting our speech be controlled by God and His will and His way. Let, let, letting our words be something that God would say. Now we always have that, used to have those little bracelets, what would Jesus do? Sometimes I wonder if it shouldn't also be what would Jesus say? <laughs> or, or, or would Jesus say that? And sometimes that needs to be the filter that we use. But a person who is fully surrendered to God's will, who who, who wants to live for Him, who wants to live in an unselfish way, all their speech should be for the purposes of good. To elevate another person and not to tear them down. To um, you know, and people have, have opinions and, and they may have altering, altering opinions. And we may have very varied opinions of the church about how things should go and how things should be run. And, and all those things um, happen. I understand those things. You know, I, I, don't want, I don't want a board that's going to be a yes man to everything that, that I do. I want to be held accountable. But sometimes our, our, our speech is, is meant to lash out. It, it, it's meant to denigrate. It's meant to tear people down. It's meant to lift us up. And that, that we need to turn that speech around and and allow it to to be elevating to people. Not elevating self, but elevating other people. Lying, gossiping, cursing are the opposite of speaking in the oracles of God. And yes, I did say gossip. <laughs> if you want if you want your multitude of sins to be um to be uh, covered, we need to strip off gossiping wherever we can. You've got to ask ourselves, would God say this? Would, would God reveal this? Would God want this to be said? Whatever it is. And then cursing. I mean, I, I can't think of, of anything worse than someone saying GD. And I'll let you figure out what that GD means. I think most of you would know what that means. Because you're, 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 you're telling that person that I want, I want God to condemn you or that thing to hell. There's nothing worse than that. Or taking the Lord's name in vain. We've got to be so careful. got to be so careful about what we say. Let our speech be as the oracles of God. Let it be sanctified speech. Let, let it be speech that for the purposes of good and for elevating others and not just for elevating ourselves and and not for tearing other people down. Then he talks about how God gives the gifts of service to the church. We need to serve whoever serves as one who serves in the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified. We want to serve in a way that we know that God is involved. We, we, we want to serve people happily. We, and it's related to hospitality, of course. But we, we, we want to serve other people. Not counting ourselves as, as important. Not counting ourselves as above other people. But to lower ourselves and humble ourselves and, and just serve other people. To help um, meet their needs, to help d- to do good things for them. To, to give, to use our, our gifts to serve the church. God has given everyone a gift. It's like Jesus talking about the parable of the talents. God has given us, each person, a gift for ministry. And we should be using that for the upbuilding of God's kingdom. Simply serving others and treating them better than ourselves. Not, not, not even just, just just giving things to them, but actually serving people. Helping them out when they have a need. Helping each other out in, in their homes. Helping people in, in their yards. Um, you know... I'm really convinced that um, no, no one who is a widower or a widower or who is um, retired and can't do it anymore uh, shouldn't have to worry about paying for lawn service if, if they're part of a church. <laughs> because I, you know, I firmly believe that we should help them out. And especially if they don't have family in the area that can do it. You know, we, we as a church need, need to help um, people who are in need, who, who need these services. We need to be serving one another as as God would, would serve us through giving up His own Son and as Jesus would serve us by giving up His eternal throne, coming down, taking on human flesh, taking on the form of a servant and a slave and being even so far as to be condemned on a cross for our sins. We need to love others above all else especially those of the faith, especially those within our own church. And so as we pre- prepare to partake of this communion, and as we think about this covenant renewal, just, uh, just think about these things. Do I love above all else as Christ has called us to, and, and as Peter encourages us to do? Do I show hospitality? Do I, do I have a sanctified speech towards other people? Do, do I call them out or do I lift them up? And, 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 and how am I serving other people? Ask yourselves these things as we commit ourselves to the renewal of our covenant. I want to ask uh, Dylan and uh, Michael